you have your Bibles and you would like to follow along today, you can turn to Matthew 28 with me. That's where we'll be today as we look at a familiar passage. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on John 3.16, and as I said that day, we come to these passages oftentimes thinking that we've heard everything there is to hear, and that what could we possibly learn or know from this passage that we've not heard before. And I hope that you did not approach that week with that kind of attitude, and I hope and pray that you do not approach this week with a similar attitude. I hope and pray that you'll come expectantly, that God would speak to you something new and pour something new into your life, because I I sincerely believe that God has a message. I sincerely believe that God has a fresh word for us. And if we come to him in faith, believing and trusting him for that, I really honestly believe the Lord wants to open up our heart, move in, push out some things that should not be there, and come and occupy and take up parts of our heart and life that maybe we've withheld from him. And so I pray that that be the case for us this morning in Jesus' name, that we would open up our hearts and receive the Holy Spirit, the message from the Lord, and that we would leave here changed, leave here different people. Because it is a familiar passage, but it is one that has incredible depth and has incredible potential impact for our life if we are sincerely open, if we would sincerely come to the Lord expectantly with faith, full of hope for what he wants to speak to us today. So I hope you'll do that today. I hope that you'll have that kind of expectation today. I want to begin today by telling you just a little story that I read recently. <coughs> Excuse me. It's about a fellow who uh, had family. Had a, he had a small family with some small children, and he had some extended family up in Chicago that they would visit every year. And one year when they went up into Chicago, for their visit, it was around Christmas time, they decided to do a little late holiday shopping. So they took their family, they had the grandparents there, the parents there, the kids there, everybody they went out to the mall to do some shopping. And somewhere along the way in the middle of their shopping, they realized that no one had their three-and-a-half-year-old child. Uh, he was lost. And the father was telling this story, he said immediately in his mind he was, he was terror-stricken, he was he was in his mind thinking of all the horrible things he'd heard about children being kidnapped from malls and taken off and all these different things started running through his mind. So the family split up and went to different parts of the mall to search for the child. And his place of search was outside in the parking lot. So he went out crunching through the snow, the Illinois cold, and yelling out and screaming his son's name at the top of his lungs. Searched through the entire parking lot, could not find uh, his child anywhere and went back to the meeting place where all of the family was to meet together. And when they got there, he said, I couldn't find him. His wife came. She said, I didn't find him. Uh, another came. I didn't find him. The grandmother didn't find him. And finally, the grandfather walked up holding in hand the three-and-a-half-year-old child, the little boy. And they were all, of course, very thrilled about this and excited to see him, very relieved for this. And they asked grandfather, said, where was he? He said he was at the candy counter and said he was just tall enough to peer over the top and he was standing there with his hands behind his back, just eyes moving back and forth over all of the goodies there before him, completely oblivious to the danger that he was in. And, you know, as I read that story, it struck me because it is a very clear and, and wonderful illustration of where lost people are today. They are at the candy counter that Satan has put before them. And all of these sweet goodies before their eyes keep them oblivious to the spiritual danger that they are in every day that they live apart from Christ. That at any moment they could leave this earth, at any moment take their last breath and wake up in an eternity separated from God because they died lost. People all around us, some of them just don't care. 
to think about spiritual things. Others are just simply in spiritual ignorance and don't know enough to care yet, and maybe they will someday. We all have friends and family and neighbors around us who are lost, and each one of these relationships represent an opportunity for us to fulfill the great commission that we read just moments ago in these scriptures in Matthew chapter 28. We have friends, we have family, we have neighbors, we have people close to us, we have people that are acquaintances, people that come in and out of our life all of the time who are separated from Christ, who are living at the candy counter of life that Satan puts before them, keeping them occupied and oblivious to the real spiritual danger that they're in, that they are lost and headed for hell. And I just want to ask you this morning as we begin, do you see the seriousness of that situation? Do you see the seriousness of their situation? Do you see your call, as we read this scripture just a moment ago, to be a part of God's salvation? Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That your life is of vital importance to the kingdom of God because Christ has chosen to use his children. He has chosen to use each one of us as an instrument of his salvation. That is, that's, that's just mind-boggling, isn't it? I mean, you almost think that God could come up with something better, don't you? I mean, you think, man, he could have, he could have just sent angels to appear at everyone's, the, the foot of everyone's bed in the middle of the night and share the gospel with them. That would have been pretty spectacular, all the light and everything else and the awe and the glory of that. He chose not to do that. Why? Well, a lot of reasons. For one, Satan can appear, appear as an angel of light, Scripture tells us. People could be fooled by an angel. One angel could come tell them the gospel. The next night, another angel come tell them something else. It could be very confusing with all of these signs and wonders around them in that case. Who knows? Whatever God's reason was, he chose to use us. He said, well, he could have split the sky. Why didn't he do that for everyone? I don't know. God in his wisdom knows much more than I know, and he's chosen to use us. Have you ever thought about the seriousness of that? Have you ever thought about the, the responsibility of that? Have you ever thought about the opportunity of that? And how wonderful it is and how meaningful it is for our life to be used in such a way in God's hands. Do you believe in hell? I just want to, I just want to ask that to begin with this morning as well. When I, when I talk about the seriousness of and, and the danger of lost people and, and the fact that they could leave this earth today to go to an eternity separated from God in a hell prepared for the devil and his angels. wasn't prepared for human beings. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, but human beings go there who die separated from Christ. Scripture teaches us, tells us. So my question to you this morning is, is do you believe that? Do you actually believe in a real hell? I, I, would, I would challenge you this morning that practically speaking, there are a lot of Christians who do not believe in hell. Now, they may never vocalize that with their mouth, but their life tells a different story, doesn't it? You see, if you're not interested in lost people coming to know Christ, and if you're not sharing the gospel ever, then practically speaking, what you're saying with your life is that you have a theology that is contrary to Scripture, that you really believe no one is going to hell, and that someday everyone's just going to make it somehow. It's called universalism by theologians, and there are a great many people. In fact, I would say this even. I would go so far as to say that most Christians today, practically speaking, believe a theology of universalism. It's unscriptural. It's not true. But we just simply do not share our faith. And by such, by that, we, we demonstrate a belief that is unscriptural. Universalism. That every, everybody's just going to make it somehow. How could I say otherwise or think otherwise? I mean, if, if hell is real and you really believe that it's an eternal place of torment that everyone goes to who dies separated from Christ... It looks to me that we would be motivated to go out and share our faith if we actually believed that. 
especially with those that we love who do not know Christ. So this morning, I, I just begin with that. Do you really believe in hell? And do you really believe that you have a part to play in the rescue of souls from hell? According to this scripture that we read moments ago, the answer to that second question is an absolute yes. And according to scripture, and I could mention many, many, many scriptures this morning, there is an actual hell. Jesus himself spoke to the truth of such a place. So whatever you walk in here with, you may have walked in here thinking, yes, of course, I believe in those two things. I want you to consider your life. I want you to consider how you live your life. Because what you actually believe to be true dictates how you actually live. So I want you just to ask the question of yourself this morning, do I really believe that? And if you don't believe that, I pray that you'll leave here changed. I hope that you'll leave here a different kind of person. Having said that, I want to go back to the scripture. Jesus starts with go tell. Now this in the Greek means as you go tell, as you live your life and as you go about the business of living your life, tell people about Jesus. That's what he says here. This is not a word to specific people within the church who have specific vocations. What I mean by that is this is not a word specific to pastors. It's not a word specific to evangelists. It's not a word specific even to these disciples that were standing there before him. This is a word to every believer in Christ. He says, as you go about the business of living your life, tell people about the most important thing in your life, your God and your salvation through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That's what he's saying here. Now, we in the church today give ourselves a lot of excuses not to fulfill this call. Uh, And one of the excuses is, is this is really meant for pastors, evangelists, and the big shots among us, those who are spiritual giants. It's just simply not the case. I was reading a story uh, a while back about a a fellow named Leighton Ford. Now, he's an evangelist himself. Some of you have heard of Leighton Ford. Many of you have not heard of Leighton Ford. You've heard of his friend, Billy Graham. And one day, Leighton Ford was preaching a revival, and the next day, Billy Graham was going to come and preach, and everyone knew that. Billy Graham was to come the next day, and as Leighton Ford was preaching this day and sharing the gospel and making an appeal for people to come at the end of the service to come forward and accept Christ, Billy Graham was in that service. It was an open-air preaching event in Nova Scotia, and Billy Graham was in the back sitting on the grass with all kinds of people incognito. He was wearing a hat and dark glasses. And as the invitation was being given, he noticed that there was an elderly man, an older man in front of him who was obviously under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so Billy Graham decided to do a little personal evangelism in this moment. And he tapped the man on the shoulder and said, would you like to go forward and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life? He says, if you do, I'd love to walk down the aisle with you right now. Man looked Billy Graham up and down. And he said, you know, I think I'll just wait for the big gun tomorrow night. I just think I'll wait for the big gun tomorrow night. And you know what this story illustrates in those words of a lost man, what so many, it illustrates what so many within the church actually believe about people like Billy Graham. The big guns are the ones that get people saved. The big guns are the ones who share the gospel. The pastor is the one that shares the faith. The pastor is the one that's going to go and talk to people about Jesus. That's really not for me. I I don't have that gift. I, I don't have that call. I don't have that vocation. But, you know, Scripture just says you have a commission. You have a responsibility. 
you have a word from the Lord and his intention is that he would use you. Now, you may be sitting there this morning saying, I don't have the training and I don't have these gifts and I'm not good at this. And you know what? It's really good that you think that about yourself because you're not going to depend on yourself. You're going to think and depend upon Jesus to do this in you and through you. What you have is the, the, the security of God's promise that he's going to be with you always to the end of the age. And we're going to look into that a little bit more in a minute. But, and you also have God's intention to use you. You know, if God intends to use you and intends to do something in and through you, you can be assured that if you make yourself available to that, he's going to do it. So God has given you the promise that he's with you. And God has given you his Holy Spirit, which he has poured within you. And God has given you this word that he intends to do this in and through you. So you can be assured of this, that you've been given the power, you've been given the words, you've been given the commission to get the job done. And I don't care what kind of training you have. If you know Jesus, you know, you know enough. If you genuinely know Jesus as your Savior, you know enough to lead somebody else to faith in Christ. You just need to depend on the Holy Spirit to give you opportunity, that occasion, and that word and that power to do it in the moment. You see, we have to get away from this thought and move away from this thought that this is somebody else's responsibility. Jesus said to all of us that we need to go and tell. And at the very least, we can offer somebody a personal invitation to come to church as a first step to, to, to doing this. I, I want to ask you this. When is the last time that you extended a personal invitation to someone to come to church? And then you say, well, I invited somebody to come to church not long ago. I'm not talking about just inviting someone to come to church. I could go to somebody and say, you know, I, I go to church down here at Harwood. You ought to come sometime and go to church there. Well, that, that's great, and that's not bad, but it's a very different thing for me to offer a personal invitation and say, you know what, I would like to invite you to come to church with me and my family this Sunday. You can come. I'll, I'll pick you up. Or if you want to come, I'll look for you at the door. You can come sit next to me, and then I'll take you to lunch afterwards. Or we'll go to life group afterwards together. I I would like for you to come. Would you come? Would you come and be a part? Would you come and sit down next to me? Would you come and, and be with me? Would you go worship with me? You see, there's a very big difference between those two things. On the one hand, it's just word. Just come in, come in and see us. Come in here and experience us. But on the other hand, it's me extending my life to them and saying, I would like for you to come and worship with me, and I would like to give you some of my time, and I would like to give you some of my attention, and I would like to help you to understand and know how to follow Jesus. You know, at the very least, we can all do that, can't we? At the very least, we can extend that kind of invitation as we go. Telling people something of our Lord, telling people something of what we do on Sunday and inviting them in to participate with us in this worship of our God. As we go about the business of life, we share Jesus. But the next thing we see in this passage is that we're to make disciples. You know, one thing that we need to understand is that Jesus never called us to lead people in a four-sentence prayer, pat them on the back, and tell them that they changed their eternal reservation from hotel hell to the paradise palace. Do you know that? There are a lot of people going to go to hell that prayed a sinner's prayer at some point in their life but never gave their life to Jesus never became one of his disciples. Now, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the sinner's prayer. But I challenge you today to find in Scripture where is the sinner's prayer. It's not in there. Now, the sinner's prayer is scriptural, but it's not in Scripture. And what I mean by that is, is the first step to receiving Jesus is to pray and to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, to ask him to forgive you, to believe that he rose from the dead and give your life to him. So when we lead someone to pray that prayer and they genuinely mean it, in that moment they are saved. If they genuinely believe that, genuinely trust those words, and are genuinely doing business with God in that moment. 
But what Jesus teaches us here is that that is a first step. We are called to make disciples. Jesus said we're to go tell, we're to make disciples. A disciple is a follower. And in order for someone to become a follower of Jesus, they must be taught how to do so. So our responsibility does not end. Each and every one of us should have someone in our life that we are pouring into and helping to lead to follow Christ, to understand what that means. See, we, we so easily become so selfish and self-centered and internally focused that we miss the opportunity to be a vessel, to be a conduit of God's power out into the world around us. We're light. We're salt. When we walk into the room, there should be a difference. When we walk into the room, there should be some illumination. People should sense and know the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of a living God. And, and unfortunately, we're so, so focused on our relationship with Christ and everything between us and Christ only that we miss the opportunity to be a part of what He's doing in the world around us. And remember that, that Jesus has chosen to make us a part of what He's doing in the world around us. He's chosen to make each one of us a part of what He's doing in the world around us. We are to make disciples. This is about new birth, new life. That's why he included this word baptism in there. That's an illustration. Baptism is an illustration of our death to the old person, resurrection to the new in order to live a new life. Someone that genuinely accepts Christ is dead to the old man, dead to the old woman, and raised to walk in a new life. In that moment they pray the sinner's prayer, in that moment that they give their heart to Christ, it begins But then from that day forward, it is a learning process that each one of us are on. We become more like Jesus as we choose to follow him by faith. We are called to pour into people's life. We're not just called to get them here in church. We're not just called to get them to to pray a prayer. We are called to lead them to desire a relationship with Jesus as they see how much he loves them, as they hear our testimony of life in Christ and salvation in Him, and then we are to lead them to follow Jesus. We're to pour in to their life. And Jesus says here, He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We never make disciples by ourselves. We never lead anyone to Christ by ourselves. Every time we talk to someone about Jesus, we do so with God. God is not a spectator, but a participant in the process. God is the one doing the work. God is the one drawing people to himself. He's the one doing it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone out and talked to people about Jesus and they just completely reject me outright. They they, they don't want to accept Christ. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to hear. And, And what am I to do? Am I to take that personally and say, I'm just a failure at this. I need to leave it to the big guns. I need to leave this to Billy Graham. I need to leave this to the pastor. I need to leave this to somebody else. Let me tell you something. Billy Graham, he's been shot down more than any other person on earth probably because he's been in front of more people sharing the gospel than just about anybody in our generation and the generations before us. Did he just walk away saying, I'm a great failure because thousands of people left this crusade lost? No. See, it's not about me. And success is not dependent upon me. Success and failure is not mine to have. I don't, I don't take credit for somebody coming to know Christ, and I don't take credit for someone walking away from Christ. I'm just simply a part of what Christ is doing. If they reject Jesus, they've rejected Jesus. They've rejected God. They haven't rejected me. 
See, God is the one drawing people to himself. He is the one that has chosen to make me a part of what he is doing. I am just an instrument in his hands. If we fail to see that we are a means of God's work, we'll begin to see ourselves as the one doing the work. Once you take on that kind of responsibility, you fail before you even open your mouth. This is true of anything that we do with God. I want you to listen to that again. If we fail to see that we are a means of God's work, we will begin to see ourselves as the one doing the work. And once you take on that kind of responsibility, you fail before you even open your mouth. And the greatest way that we seek out and know the dependency upon God for this work is through prayer. Everything that we do should be bathed in prayer. We, 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 should, we should pray over our lives constantly, but especially in the area of evangelism and the area of sharing our faith. Prayer is the key to every evangelistic effort. We must bathe the process in prayer. We need to pray for opportunities to share our faith. Pray that God would prepare the hearts of those with whom we share Christ. Pray that God would give us the right words to pray, to say. We should pray all the time. Do you wake up each day praying, God, would you give me someone today that I could share the gospel with? Would you give me someone today that I could share my faith with? And, and do you pray over that and say, God, would you bring me to someone that you're preparing to receive you today? And God, would you put into my mouth the words that you want me to say today so we can see that person come to faith today? Do you pray those kind of prayers? You see, I think most of us, most of us practically speaking, are living a universalist kind of theology where we fail to really consider our responsibility and our opportunity to seek out the lost and share our faith. And we're failing to pray for those kinds of opportunities. You know, we right now, we are, we're living in tumultuous times, wouldn't you say? It's kind of interesting, isn't it, right now, all around us? And, and one of the things that you see so often said in the newscast today is that people are angry. People are angry at our government. They're angry at our officials. They're angry at our politicians. They're angry at our culture. People are angry. I get that. I understand that. But beyond the anger, there is a, a greater need that is not being spoken of very often. In fact, I would say it is almost never being spoken of and never being spoken of on television itself. And that is our, our nation is dead spiritually. You see, our church, the church of Jesus Christ in this country right now, we, we need Jesus to revive us. And when revival happens, we become enamored with our God, so to speak. We, we fall in love with Him in new ways and in deeper ways and in ways we have not before. And when that happens, people get saved. And they get saved because the people of Christ, the, the Christians in the church, begin to go outside of the church and actually do what we're talking about this morning. They begin to share their faith. 
And I want to challenge you this morning. If you're sitting there this morning and you can say, I really have not shared my faith recently. Maybe I've never shared my faith at all. That you would pray this morning and say, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on me and revive me and make me fall in love with you? Because I need to be more in love with you than I am so that I will have a hunger and a passion and be motivated to share you with other people so they can love you too. And so they can experience the love I have from you. He said, what we need right now is not a political solution. What we need right now in our country is a spiritual solution. And there are no spiritual solutions outside of Jesus Christ. And so what we need right now is a revival. We need God's Spirit to be poured out on us. We need personal revival which will result in a church revival, which will result in a city revival, which will result in a state revival, which will result in a nationwide revival, which will result in a worldwide revival. See, when, when, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we say, yes, people need to know Jesus. wish everybody would know Jesus. Yes, they need to. Those poor people going to hell who don't know Jesus. And then we walk out and eat lunch. See, that so often is what we're doing. We've got to move beyond that and into the reality of what we see before us. What we need is spiritual solutions for our own life personally, which will result in changed lives around us. Every time there has been a revival in the history of the church, it has resulted in masses of people coming to know Christ. What do you think would happen in this country if 10% of the population came to know Christ? 40 million people came to know Christ in the course of the next 24 months. How much of a difference do you think it would make? I don't care who is elected to office. This place would be different. I don't care what the economy is like. This place would be different. Completely different. Be a different place, different world. The question this morning is, are you talking about Jesus? Does he mean so much to you that you can't stop talking about him? That you want to talk about him? That you're compelled to talk about him? If not, this morning I challenge you to pray, seek the Lord, and ask him to pour his spirit out upon you new and to revive you. You see, do you believe in hell? And do you believe you're a part of God's plan to keep people from going to hell? Do you? Jesus loves us deeply. And he loves the lost people deeply. And he has decided to take those who he loves and make them a part by bringing his love to those who have yet to receive him. We need to get ourselves right so we can be a part of what God is doing. This morning as we close, I'm going to close with just a challenge Two challenges, really. Number one, if you're not certain you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this morning would you come down to the altar? Would you come to me? Take my hand. I will help you to understand how you can know Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, took upon himself every one of our sins. He paid the price for those sins when he bled and died on that cross. He rose from the dead three days later, ensuring us, testifying, putting in our heart hope of eternal life for ourselves. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. Would you believe that for yourself this morning? Would you trust that to be true for yourself? And would you give your life to Him and become a follower of Him? There might be someone here today, you've never really become a follower of Jesus, and your life shows it. 
And all you did was say a prayer long ago and you've never genuinely given your life to Jesus. I tell you, Facebook will show it. I, I look at so many people who profess Christ that I know in their life, there is nothing about their life that indicates they're a follower of Jesus. You say, that's so judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just looking at what they post. Sometimes I wonder if they've forgotten that they friended me at some point. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Jesus said we're going to be a follower. We're going to love him. We're going to have a heart for him. We're going to want to pursue him. It doesn't mean we're going to never sin again and never mess up, but what it means is that we're broken when we do, and we don't just receive sin in our life and accept it as a normal deal. Just a part of who we are. Sin breaks the heart of the believer because the believer is following Jesus. So I'm just asking you this morning, are you certain you know Jesus? Are you just depending on some words you spoke one time that had no real meaning for your life? And if that is you this morning, and I ask you to make that decision to follow Jesus. And for those who know Jesus this morning, if you're one this morning says, I, as I go about living my life, do not talk very much about Jesus. And then this morning, I ask you to pray for God to revive you. Pray God will change you. Give yourself over to him new. Ask Jesus to pour his Holy Spirit out within your heart and give you a broken heart for lost men and women who are going to hell. Pour his Holy Spirit into your heart and give you a vision of hell. You know, William Booth, when he was training people to be a part of the Salvation Army, one of the things he said he wished he could have is have all of those who were coming into the Salvation Army spend, I think it was 15 minutes in hell or something along those lines. I don't remember the quote. Because if we could be in hell 15 minutes, we'd never be the same after we got out of there. Because it would be the one thing that we would do with every breath we have to try to keep people from going there for eternity. Ask God to give you a vision of hell that you might have a passion for heaven and may have a passion for the Christ who gets you to heaven. Ask God this morning to change your mind and heart. Ask God to make you an evangelist. Ask God to make you a, a witness. Ask God to give you the kind of life and kind of personality that you can't stop talking about Jesus. You see, do you know Jesus? And are you telling people about Jesus? That's the challenge this morning. And as we have our time of invitation, if you're not certain you know him or if you want a new passion to tell about him, I'm asking you to come and pray at the altar. Come and pray. Come and take my hand and let me help you know how you might have a real relationship with Jesus this morning. Would you do that today?